Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Okay, welcome everybody. It's five o'clock on the West Coast. I'm Noah. Um, Welcome to everyone. I'd like to begin this first Thursday that I do monthly with a reminder, anybody that's joining for the first time, that this is not a refuge recovery meeting. Uh, Refuge recovery meetings are peer-led, and um, this is an offering from myself, from Refuge Recovery World Services of a teacher-led refuge recovery-based offering. Um, So I'll guide a meditation that probably won't be directly out of the book. Um, I'll freestyle it most likely, and then I will um, uh, introduce a topic and hopefully have some time for some questions and communication with anybody who wants to uh, ask anything. I hope that makes sense. Uh, the way that we set up refuge recovery was that uh, peer-led meetings are the central form of, of support where you, we supported each other and there are no teachers and refuge recovery meetings. Um, but also we have a aspect of world services that offers meditation retreats and uh, teachings. And uh, so I, I play that role where I teach the retreats and I am happy to make myself available for questions about uh, refuge recovery or any of the kind of Buddhist Uh, principles that we're applying to recover from addiction. So we'll start with a period of meditation, find a way to sit that's upright, relaxed. Find a posture that feels sustainable. And when you're ready, allow your eyes to be closed. Settling into the upright posture. and releasing any unnecessary tension that your body may be holding, relaxing, releasing, softening. Softening the tension in the face by releasing the jaw, releasing the shoulders, Try to soften your belly. If there's any tension in your stomach, try to relax into the body, into the present time experience of sitting here, listening. As we establish mindfulness, which is present time, non-judgmental, kind awareness, with the quality of interest, investigation. We turn our attention first towards the body. What is the body feeling right now? And we soften, responding with releasing into this posture. Let the chair, the seat you're in support you.
allow the breath to come and go naturally. No need to control the breath in any way. Just receive how the body is breathing. Bring your awareness to the body's rhythm of breath. Bring some curiosity. How does your body breathe right now? Where do you feel the breath? Is it deep or shallow? What's the duration of the in-breath? How long is the pause before you exhale? Is there a pause before you inhale again? Bring that kind of investigation to the sensations the breath creates. There are likely other sensations happening in your body, sounds, thoughts in your mind, emotions in your heart. Accepting ourselves just as we are, as much as we can. Accepting the sounds, the situations, the feelings. As we choose to bring our attention to the breath, Mindfulness of breathing, letting everything else exist, not trying to stop the mind. But choosing to not pay attention to the mind right now, pay attention to the breath, thoughts in the background. Breath as the focus, the foreground of our mindfulness. If you're new to this practice, you can continue to use the breath as the 
primary focus, the object of mindfulness. Keep disengaging from the thinking mind. Come back to the feeling body over and over. This is an intervention. Gives us some relief from the suffering the thinking mind tends to create for us. But the Buddha's instructions continued from breath awareness to full body awareness, head to toe. We talked about mindfulness of the 32 parts of the body, the skin, the bones, the organs. as well as becoming awake to the four elements of the body. This body that has all of these different parts that we name, but also can be broken down to the base elements of heat, earth, water, and air. Sensations from head to toe, this body producing all of these sensations. And we open to the investigation of the second level, the second foundation of mindfulness, which is the feeling tone, what is experienced as pleasant or unpleasant or neutral. What parts of the body are currently uncomfortable, unpleasant? What parts of the body are neutral? And what is experienced as pleasant in this moment? Bring this investigation to the sensations as well as emotions and the sense doors of hearing and seeing, smelling and tasting. Mindfulness becomes an inquiry. What's happening right now? What am I paying attention to? And how does it feel? What's the feeling tone of this sound? Is this a pleasant sound? this image in my mind, this smell or taste, this thought. What's happening and how does it feel? Pleasant or unpleasant or neutral?
expand to include the mind to observe how thoughts arise and pass the impermanent nature of all of our experience breath coming and going sensations constantly changing emotions thoughts awareness receives and knows what's happening we begin to understand the truth of impermanence the reality of constant change investigate impermanence in your direct experience right now how the breath is coming and going how thoughts have a tendency to proliferate change our moods our emotions all of it in motion passing through awareness As we meditate in this way, mindfulness, we each have to attune to the appropriate amount of effort. The mind wanders, the attention moves from thing to thing, from thought to sensation to sound. Part of what we're learning is that we can direct our awareness. We can choose to focus on the breath and ignore the mind. But it takes effort, energy. We can choose to bring the attention to the mind and observe the thoughts rather than being so identified with what the mind is doing watching how thoughts proliferate coming to know the content this is craving this is aversion that one's a judgment or a fear resentment or a worry and that's a thought of kindness of love of generosity The effort to intentionally know what's happening moment to moment.
Remember to soften, especially when the body becomes uncomfortable from sitting still. No need to move away from the pain. Just acknowledge it as unpleasant. Relax around it. Tension makes it worse. Soften the belly. Release the jaw, the shoulders, the brow. Allow pain to be present when it's present. Learn to be kind, to be friendly, compassionate towards your own pain. In order to maintain abstinence, we're going to have to learn to be uncomfortable. Learn to sit with it as it arises and passes. It's all impermanent. Resistance makes it worse, never better. Spending the last couple of minutes turning towards the practice of loving kindness with the simple phrase to yourself, may I be at ease. May I learn to be at ease in this body just as it is. With all of the craving and aversion, with the wounds this body holds, may I learn to be at ease to meet it with kindness and compassion. May I be at ease with my heart, with the emotions, both pleasant and unpleasant. With the difficulties of the past, the wounds, the scars, the guardedness of my heart. May I accept it just as it is. As I heal, as I recover. May I be at ease with my mind. This self-centered human tendency. The mind that judges and compares and fears craves this human mind that's so often confused about our own worthiness about our own ability to recover to heal to be free from addiction to be free from suffering and we accept our minds no longer fighting, but also no longer believing the confused tendencies of our own minds. May I be at ease with myself just as I am, over and over to yourself.
And when you're ready, allowing your eyes to open, bringing mindfulness to seeing the screen, the space that you're in, bringing mindfulness to moving, stretching, however feels good, and continuing this present time awareness of the feeling tone, the pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. The topic I wanted to discuss, introduce tonight, um, is about the effort, the energy, the the act of recovering, the act of um, walking this path. You know, Buddhism is referred to as a uh, middle path, not a belief system. And I, I like just the, the image of a path. You know, it's not a, it's not something to believe. It's somewhere to go. It's a path that we walk, and the effort that it takes to um, not just begin this journey of recovery, this journey of, but to maintain it long term, to sustain it, and uh, lots of different images that the Buddha used about finding that balanced effort, uh, and it's one that. Uh, nobody really outside of us, like we can, um, there's suggestions, uh, but it's a little bit different for each of us. You know, like the, the path is the same. The teachings are the same for all of us. The four noble truths, like in Refuge Recovery, we come in, we start our meditation practice, we join the meetings. How many meetings do you go to? How much, you know, some people every day, meeting a day, some people two times a day. Right. And so you get to find how what's the right amount of participation in uh, the Sangha in the meetings for you. Some people find two or three meetings a week. Good meditation encouraged every day and getting into that habit of of actually practicing, sitting down and practicing meditation every day. We suggest um, that we find that balance between the mindfulness practices like we did tonight that lead to wisdom. The more you train your mind to be present, investigative, uh, with this attitude of kindness, the more we start to understand the truth of impermanence. The more we truly understand impermanence, the, the less we suffer because the less we cling. Attachment and craving and clinging being the cause of most of our suffering. The more we understand the impermanent nature of pain, the more we become tolerant and accepting and compassionate towards pain. And then we don't suffer. We don't have to relapse behind big painful experiences in our lives. We learn to tolerate them, to respond wisely to them. We learn that from meditation. So daily meditation and finding that balance between the, the wisdom practices of mindfulness and the wise emotional responses of forgiveness and compassion and loving kindness and appreciation. And when you first start refuge recovery Buddhist system, it can kind of seem like, whoa, there's a lot going on here. And there's the four noble truths that there's the eightfold path, these inventories, you know, the effort of 
you know, over 50 inventory questions of actually sitting down and putting in the time and energy. And again, some people come in, are desperate, are willing, and are like, I'm just going to do it. You know, this is what's suggested. I'll do anything. What I know is that addiction is kicking my ass and I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the work. And they do the inventories and they get them done in the first few months, the first time. Other people come in and there's procrastination and there's, uh, well, I did, you know, two questions and then I did two more questions and all of a sudden you've been here for three years and you haven't finished your inventories yet. You know, finding the balance for you. Uh, of course, there's the suggestion. Of course, there's the encouragement. Get those inventories done. Do that daily meditation. Find your rhythm of uh, how many uh, meetings to attend. The Eightfold Path can be a little confusing because there's eight different aspects, right? You do your inventories and then there's this eight eight different aspects. And Buddhism's not linear. Refuge recovery isn't like, well, do the first factor of the path and then the second and then the third. You know, like the 12, those 12-step 12 folks, our friends in the 12-step world, it's like work the steps in order. <laughs> we don't have that. What we have is a wheel. We've got this wheel that has eight spokes. And where we really start is with the seventh spoke, which is mindfulness. Right when you come in, mindfulness, present time awareness, this is going to be key, but it's the seventh thing on the list. But we start often with mindfulness, understanding we get that from reading the literature, from attending the meetings, from the first, you know, the understanding that comes, comes from, from study, from listening, from investigating. The intention, the second factor, that happens very gradually. We can set our positive intentions, our intention to be kind and honest and uh, live with integrity and, and ethics. But you can't make that happen. That's a gradual thing, intention. You have to constantly reset our intentions. Uh, uh, communication, action, um and livelihood these these this encouragement towards an ethical uh way to live a life of nonviolence, a life of honesty a life of being uh careful with our words our actions our sexuality so it's not so linear obviously but it takes a lot of effort and there has to be it's one of the reasons why mindfulness is uh so key and, and this aspect of mindfulness, which is investigation, where you have to turn towards our own mind, our own heart, our own life, and be asking ourselves, uh, what's happening right now? How does it feel and how am I responding? When we look at our recovery and our path, we have to kind of look around like, where am I at on this path? We look at the eightfold path and we say, well, what's my current understanding? How are my intentions these days different than when I came in last week or last year or a decade ago? This kind of check-in, Where, where's my intentions? How is my speech? How's my communication? How am I showing up in relationships? Am I getting better at listening? Am I getting better at telling the truth? Am I trying uh, to understand that how I communicate creates karma and is part of my practice? 
my relationship to work, to sexuality, to money, to attention, to power, all of that, our relationship to food, to pleasure, all of it being part of our recovery, part of our path that we're walking, how much effort and constantly checking in constantly. And I say constantly, but you know, one of the things uh, I put in the book and the favorite images from the Buddha is, he said, it's like the effort of this path of, of awakening, path of recovering is a little bit like tuning a stringed instrument and not too tight. And have you ever experienced that where you get a little too uptight about your recovery? You're a little too attached to, if I don't make a meeting, I'm gonna die. <laughs> if I miss my meditation today, I'm a failure. Not too tight, not too tight, but also not so fucking relaxed about it that you're like, yeah, I, I don't meditate anymore. <laughs> I'm so non-attached, uh, you know, fuck it. <laughs> We have to find that balance of effort and energy and consistent long-term participation. You know, I'm coming up on 35 years of abstinence and meditation practice. And, you know, so it's a fucking long time. And I've seen so many people come and go, hundreds, thousands, thousands of people come and go from recovery. And some of them probably even stayed sober, but they stopped participating in community. You know, they, people come in and they, you know, like when we're desperate, we come, we're like, I'll do anything. I'll go to those meetings. I'll do the meditation. <laughs> but then it's like life gets good. And the effort to continue being of service, the effort to continue um, participating in community often does there's a hard it's hard for people to follow through uh you know i haven't had a daily every single day meditation practice for the last 35 years it's come and gone there's been cycles where i'm meditating more where i'm meditating less where i'm going to more meetings where i'm going to less meetings where i'm more uh careful with my speech or less careful with my speech but my experience has been i just keep showing up i've never gone through a period for you know uh, where I've stopped completely meditating or I've stopped going to meetings or I've stopped trying to recover, trying to heal. I've consistently been putting in the effort uh, long-term. There's a section of the book um, about effort and energy, page 73, and then it goes on to 74, 75. I thought we'd I'd read and we could discuss a little bit. Uh, as we bring awareness to our habits, tendencies, and worldviews, we may see only how confused we have become. I was talking about that, like when we're looking at our minds and the mindfulness. You, you know, if you really start looking at your mind with some kind awareness, you start to see like, wow, there's a lot of confusion in my mind, <laughs> a lot of self-centered fear, a lot of, you know. But eventually we come to know that we are safe again. We are now heading in the right direction against the stream, against the old reactive tendencies and selfish pursuits. And although we long for quick progress, we can achieve nothing until we find the appropriately paced techniques. And that's really you know, the, the topic. What's the appropriately paced technique for you? 
The Buddha likened spiritual effort to the tuning of a stringed instrument. If the strings are too tight, it doesn't play correctly. If the strings are too loose, it doesn't sound right either. The path to recovery and freedom take great effort and fine tuning. Here are some suggested guidelines for developing a recovery practice long-term. It says uh, on page 74, from the beginning, start with the practice of meditation right away. Meditation is the most important tool in supporting your renunciation and beginning your recovery. Begin with the simple breath awareness concentration practice. And after a week or so of renunciation abstinence, begin to alternate the forgiveness meditation with breath practice every other day. Eventually, we will want to learn and practice all of the meditations offered, but in the first few months of practice, we encourage a focus on concentration of the breath and forgiveness. From two months to six months, meditate for 20 minutes daily. Go to as many meetings and meditation groups as you can. Ask someone from the recovery community to mentor you and call them regularly to check in about your practice of the four truths. Complete your first inventory and second truth inventory. So this suggestion is by six months of your recovery, you're done with your inventories. Now, no judgment for all of <laughs> the people who are like, well, I've been here for two years and I haven't finished it yet. That's okay. But the encouragement to, to get it done, revisit that. Just because you're staying sober doesn't mean like, I don't need to do that or you're staying in recovery. Go back, it'll help your recovery. Perform weekly physical practices like yoga, dance, or other exercises with mindfulness. Um, I, I hope people really hear that, that there's a, a physical component to our recovery. It can think like, you know, I've got this guy behind me, the, the Buddha dude back there sitting. And so we can think like, oh, I'm practicing Buddhism. Buddhism is sitting. But there's a physical component, and it's so important for our recovery, for our mental health, for our trauma resolution, for all of it, to have physical practices. Yes, mostly we go to meetings and we sit still and then we talk to each other. But get, you know, get in, I said yoga, dance, physical exercise. Um, I think I put dance in there because I had a person in our community that was leading these dance, mindfulness dance things, which in, at first I thought were so weird and then eventually i was like oh this is great for me because i have resistance to it it's important for me to feel awkward and and dance um and to, to take that on as a practice to get into the gym to get out into the woods out into the streets and to, to move the body as part of our recovery as an aspect of our mindfulness six to 12 months increase your meditation practice to 30 minutes a day Begin expanding the mindfulness practice to include forgiveness practice in your meditation for at least 15 minutes every other day until you have no more resentments. Until you have no more resentments. <laughs> you know, so this encouragement, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, people will, you know, often, you know, one of my first questions for people is, um, 
you know, you're still doing the forgiveness practice and people are like, ah, I kind of put it on the back burner. Like, are you free from resentments? This is the tool relapse prevention tool that we have that's going to keep us out of anger and resentment that often lead to relapse or not even, even if it's not relapse, it's just misery, unhappiness. Forgiveness will help keep it on heavy rotation. It, it encourages that within that first six to 12 months, attend a weekend meditation retreat. Actually put the time and the energy and the effort into going uh, you know, to a retreat. Refuge Recovery World Services, I, I'm teaching, I don't know, six refuge retreats this year. A bunch of you came to the one that we did in, uh, in January. We had one in Oregon. In February, we had one in Oklahoma. Uh, the next one isn't the retreat, but the conference in May. Great thing to do. Put the effort in. Get yourself there if you can to connect. Then we'll have a five-day retreat in the fall on the East Coast, a seven-day retreat on the West Coast, a bunch of opportunities to do refuge recovery meditation retreats. Uh, and, and important, it's part of our recovery practice to go on retreat, to get that time to deepen our understanding of what's happening in here and our healing and our recovery. Begin making amends as part of the forgiveness practice. So it's this six to 12 months within the first year when we finished our inventories, that act of going to the people that we've caused harm to and making amends to them. You know, that simple act of saying, please, you know, I, I want to take full responsibility for the ways that I've caused harm, the dishonesty, the theft, the maybe violence, whatever it was that has caused harm. And I'm working on a pamphlet about amends because the book isn't that clear. But in a simple way, you know, part of it is when we make amends to people, we ask them, is there anything I can do to right this wrong? I have caused harm. Is there anything that you need from me? I'm apologizing. I'm asking for forgiveness, but actually letting them tell you, this is what I want. My experience in amends, almost always people said, just stay sober and stop stealing. <laughs> That's all I need. Like, take care of yourself. Stay out of, you know, uh, rarely, you know, and then when there's financial amends, you know, uh, I had to make a lot of amends, financial amends to people and say like, you know, I owe you hundreds of dollars or thousands maybe, but I can't pay you back right now, but I'll get on a payment plan. I'm entirely willing to pay you $20 a month or $100 a month or whatever I can uh, afford. And, you know, that, that willingness to, to make those amends. One to five years. Begin daily meditation of 45 minutes in one sitting or split it into a 30-minute and a 15-minute session. So again, if you've been around for more than a year, the encouragement is up it. Not just the 20-minute meditations in the meetings, 45 minutes a day. That's the encouragement. Now, for some, you might hear this and feel like, that sounds like too much, <laughs> too much effort. Um, and you know, you'll do it when you're ready, but the encouragement is sometime in that one year to five year that you'll take it a bit more seriously. Not just our, the reason that the meditations are, I know if you're new, it seems long to meditate for 20 minutes, but once you've been doing it for a while, 20 minutes is like the minimum. Then you up it to 30, then you up it to 45. 
the longer we sit in this kind of contemplation and meditation and training of our hearts, the more wisdom we develop, the more compassion we develop, the more clearly we see that we're not our thoughts by watching the thoughts arise and pass and arise and pass. It's relapse prevention. This isn't This isn't a suggestion just, you know, like, so that uh, it's not meaningless, it's very meaningful. It's completely engaged in how, uh, I, I believe like the more that we practice, if we're practicing in the right ways, the more likely we are to maintain our recovery. After the first year of renunciation, abstinence, begin practicing the four foundations of mindfulness and the heart practices of loving kindness, compassion, appreciation, and equanimity. Incorporate more and more mindfulness and heart practices into daily life. Take it off of the cushion, into your speech, into your actions, into your relationships. Do loving kindness on the freeway, not just on the meditation cushion. Do forgiveness at work with the people that are annoying you, not just on the meditation cushion. Do it in the market. Bring it into your daily life, into your conflicts. Bring the forgiveness into action off of the cushion into your life. I mean, the cushion's our life too, but. Within one to five years, the suggestion, complete the amends process. I was so fortunate, you know, I came up in the 12-step world and I feel very fortunate that I had a sponsor originally, and I'm talking about 30 years ago, who said, uh, you will complete this. You will make amends to everyone that you've caused harm to, and you'll do it in a timely manner. <laughs> It wasn't one of those kind of like, yeah, get to it when you get to it. He was quite kind of militant almost where he was like, okay, where's your list of all the people that you've caused harm to? We have it from our inventory. Now let's look at them and let's make those appointments and let's start going and cleaning up the messes that we've made, the karma that we've created. Let's do that direct action. One to five years, attend a seven to 10 day silent meditation retreat. That encouragement. The reason I made re retreats um, central in this recovery program is because they've been central in my recovery. I started doing meditation retreats when I had uh, a little less than two years. I, was I got sober at 19. I started doing retreats. At, uh, I got sober at 17. I started doing retreats at 19. And I did a three day and then I did a five day and then I did a seven day and then I did seven days and 10 days. And I just kept going over the last 35 years. I've consistently, I just got back from a seven day retreat in Thailand in December. I continue to practice retreats. It's central to my recovery. I hope it becomes central to yours. After having completed a retreat and finished your amends, I actually don't want to read this part. It says, begin mentoring others. When I created, when I wrote the book, I think I created too high of a bar. You do not have to have attended a retreat or completed your inventories in order to mentor. Start mentoring now, co-mentor, be of service. Once you've started working on your inventories, help someone else get started working on theirs. Then you can stay ahead of them and get yours done before they get theirs done. Um, when I was writing this book, I created too high, high, high of a bar. Now, this is important. We do an inventory when we come in, then do an annual inventory on your recover, 
on your recovery, looking at how you are currently engaging with the four truths and eightfold path. Where are the weak links? What needs more attention and effort? I wonder if one of the reasons why people don't stay consistent in recovery is because they feel like, oh, I already did that. I learned the meditation, I did the inventories. That annual coming back to it and being like, okay, well, how am I, how's it going now? What's weak? What do I need to work on? My speech, my actions, my livelihood, my relationship to money, to sex, to food. What is it? Let me fine tune with the effort that we have here. Five to 15 years. Stay involved. Continue to practice and share your experience, time, and energy with new people. You know, if everybody came in here and recovered and then left, who's going to be here for the new people? There won't be any, right? Like the people that have gotten some benefits from recovery, it's so important for us to stay involved, to be of service. Even if you're not coming really, you know, you're not coming because you're desperate for it anymore your life is good hopefully your life will get really good and part of that is continuing to stay to be of service to be that person that shows this thing works and just like the people that helped me i'll help you include the forgiveness practice attend longer retreats that is one to three months in length now i know this sounds like a high bar a one month retreat or a three-month retreat. Um, and it's not maybe practical for everybody, people raising children, financial issues around it. Uh, I was very fortunate and very motivated in my recovery that, you know, by the time I, what does this say, five to 15 years, I think in my first 10 years, I did two month-long retreats. Uh, I think I was around 10 or 15 years sober, I did a 30, a 90 day, a three month retreat because it was important to me. And it was where I was finding healing as where I was finding uh, freedom. And so I encourage it. I know not everybody's going to go off on a 90 day silent meditation retreat, but I, I think that it's a, uh, I don't want to get too religious, but I've always had that feeling of, you know, how Muslims have a, um, a thing where as part of their uh, life, it's an ideal for a Muslim to at some point uh, visit Mecca. Mecca is their, their holy land, or maybe Jews to Israel, or, you know, there's this sort of pilgrimage. Maybe for Buddhists, it's like the pilgrimage to uh, India, to Bodh Gaya. I feel like for us as Western people utilizing Buddhist teachings, uh, maybe an, a, a good goal is at some point in my life, I'll do a three month meditation retreat, you know, as a act of generosity to yourself. When you can organize your life so that you can go into that depth of healing, that depth of sitting in the discomfort and tending to it, dealing with boredom, dealing with all of the uh, difficulties and all of the joys that will arise in retreat practice. Continue to do annual inventories. Look at how you're currently engaging. What needs more attention and effort? 15 years of recovery to life. Stay involved. Continue to practice. Share your experience, time, and energy with new people. Include the forgiveness practice until you have no more resentments. 
continue with the annual inventory, looking at how you're currently engaging, where are the weak links, what needs more attention, and those longer and longer retreats. I feel like I, I started with short retreats and then I did longer ones and then um, and then I had children and I'm like, well, I can really only get away for about a week at a time. <laughs> so now I do week long retreats rather than longer ones because that's where my life is at this point. And each of us find uh, our own balance in this effort and energy on this path. So what are your questions, comments, clarifications about the action, uh, the path of, of refuge recovery? Anything, if you'd like to make a comment or have a question, you can raise your hand in the, it's down in that reactions button at the bottom of the Zoom screen. Jennifer, go ahead. You can just unmute yourself and. Okay, um, with respect to the silent retreats, I mean, are you being like silent, silent for <laughs> 90 days? No way. Yes. It's just, it's like, like what, come on, where, where are the breaks? No Aren't there, wait, are, what do you, no breaks, you, but don't worry about it. Don't get ahead of yourself. Come to a weekend retreat and then you'll see like, oh, I can do this. Have you already been to a weekend retreat? No. Mm -mm. Yeah. So don't, don't worry about the 90 days. Come to a weekend. Okay, well, retreat. even that, like a day retreat I'm asking about. Yeah, <laughs> no, you'll, like that. You'll what does that look like completely? Uh, Not completely. Schedule, a schedule of alternating sitting meditation and walking meditation and sitting meditation walking meditation um, when i'm teaching the retreats i give an instruction in the morning and in the afternoon and in a talk at night so although you are in silence the people when we're attending we're in silence somebody is guiding us through the process giving us some instructions but the whole thing is done in silence no eye contact no reading no music no technology we're just practicing mindfulness of our direct experience um, so taking that 20 minute meditation to the 45 to the all day, but you know, you don't have to just sit there all day. You have a schedule of sitting and walking practice. Are there come notes? When, like come, come when you can. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Megan, please. Um, so I'm sure this is probably a common question, but I haven't heard it asked yet. So um i'm starting to work on my first inventory and i actually don't have a list of people that i need to make amends to um i've checked with you know most of my family member or all the family members that i am in contact with and friends and mostly my addiction really fucked myself and my spouse but it didn't really you know, expand to like the larger universe around me. Can you speak to kind of how to work on that aspect then? Yeah. Um, I was just looking for exactly how it's, uh, there's, you know, the couple questions on the first truth inventory, 
um, that talks about our relationship history. Have we caused any harm in any relationships in the past? Um, is there any other uh, ways that we've experienced or caused harm? Um, Are there any people that we've we've caused harm to? Now, if you have done this and you uh, suffering is hurting people, make a list of all of the people you've hurt and how you have hurt them. Um, now, if you've done that inventory and you really are coming up with uh, ju just your husband, now probably uh, you know probably your parents, you know anybody that when we're in active addiction. Anybody that cares about us is being harmed on some level because they're, you know, it's it's harmful for them to see us in in, in addiction, and uh, probably we're not, you know, showing up in the best way. But you get to find your way with that completely. Each one of us, you, uh, and and maybe more will be revealed. Sometimes when we come in, we feel like I was only hurting myself, and then as you meditate and your mind reminds you of like, oh, but I was dishonest in this way, and I was out of integrity in this way, and I didn't make all, I didn't call all these people back because I was so busy, you know, getting loaded or whatever it was. Um, and then more is revealed. And then when that's revealed, you make those appointments and you say, hey, I want to make amends for the ways that I was out of integrity, the way that, that I did cause harm. But, you know, if it's just your husband, then you get to, get to make amends to him for now and see what else. And, and maybe that is true for you. I don't know. Um, I certainly had a, you know, uh, some of us had this experience where we were stealing a lot and lying a lot and violent and all of that stuff. So we had a lot of amends to make. Some of you were just, you know, like nice, good people that were addicts. <laughs> yeah, and, we're and so both of my that's true too. <laughs> and both of my parents are dead, and yeah. I don't have very much extended family, so it's kind of like, yeah, I mean, my circle of influence, I guess, was pretty small. However, I'm sure there are some people that I can think of that I just wasn't like the best version of myself with that I could clean that mess up a little bit. Yes. So thank you for that. Is, I appreciate it. Feels it feels good. There's like a, a kind of karmic purification for us to make amends, even though sometimes it's weird and embarrassing and like, oh, how do I approach this conversation? So important for us to, uh, I feel like one of the huge functions of making amends is to take the um, ammunition away from your mind, the judging mind, that part of our mind that will continue to say like, oh, but you're a bad person because of this. If you if you at least have that like, and I've made amends for all of it. Yes, I was unskillful in all of these ways in the past, and I've taken full responsibility, and I've made amends for all of it. It takes all of that ammunition away from the judging mind, and that's so helpful to us in our recovery. Last one, Stephen. We'll end with your question. Thank you. Um... I'd like to say uh, first, thank you very much for Corbett, Oregon. That was wonderful. So uh, yeah, the, the Friday to your Sunday silence was, noble silence was fantastic. Um, so as we move into our annual inventories and we're saying, oh, life is good. What would you say for us to focus on or specifically think about so we don't fall into Going to a trap. Um, I don't. I'm not sure exactly what you mean. Uh, I feel like when we look 
back, you know, we can look at the inventory questions every year. And, you know, you go back through it and you say like, stress created by craving. How's that manifesting in my life these days? Okay, I'm no longer craving for drugs and alcohol, hopefully, you know, um, but what am I craving for? Where, where, you know, where, where is that manifesting now? Because the reality is we're always craving for something, unenlightened beings, right? It's taking on, I want pleasure, I want more savings, I want more, <laughs> a bigger house, a smaller house, whatever, you know, looking at that uh, is never having enough to feel satisfied. We can look at ourselves and be like, it used to be about drugs. It's not about drugs anymore or food or sex or whatever. Hopefully you'll get to that place in your recovery. It's not about the substances or even the behaviors. Now I'm just with the human condition that continues to crave, continues to feel dissatisfied, um, you know, stealing, you know, and then we can start looking at, are there subtler ways? Like, okay, I don't do armed robberies anymore. I'm not shoplifting, but what level of integrity do I have? I use, love to use the example of like, um, you know, taking that which is not freely offered at the coffee shop of like, you know, okay, how, how am I doing with this precept? Am I taking some extra napkins, some extra sugars, some extra things that I don't need that aren't freely offered for me to have later, you know, grabbing that handful of hot sauce. Oh, I mean, I might use this later. Like that's actually stealing, you know, that's only for to use while you're at the taqueria. You don't get to take a gallon home, <laughs> you know? So looking at the subtleties, you know, stuff like is feeling ashamed of one actions, looking at like, where am I holding regret? Where am I holding shame? Feeling unworthy. Oh yeah, my mind still feels unworthy sometimes. More loving kindness, um, anger or resentment. What resentments? Have I been hurting myself? Feeling isolated, alone. So anyways, you go back through all of it. Some of them you might look at, you know, um, you know some of them won't apply anymore. Uh, missed opportunities or failures in your life that were due to your addiction. You know, you might just have a, a real simple, nope, not anymore. I'm not missing the opportunity. I'm not failing. Uh, you know, some of them, uh, you know, the anguish and misery of being addicted. Some you say, so you just look at that and be like, I'm not in that anguish anymore. I'm in recovery. I'm in the anguish and misery of recovery. <laughs> not the anguish and misery of addiction, you know, and happily, I'm joking, of course, hopefully much more a sense of happiness and joy that's come from my recovery. But, you know, these inventories around the suffering of our life and the repetitive craving, and this is the Buddha's first and second noble truth. And just because you get sober and stay sober doesn't mean that all of the dukkha, first noble truth, suffering, or tanha, craving is gone. It just means we've successfully been abstaining from those behaviors, substances, but we still have the, the addiction to our own minds, right? There's that whole section in our book of like, it's not really about the drugs or the behaviors, it's about the self-centeredness. It's about the addiction to our own minds. That's the real problem. So we do that inventory and say, how free am I from that? You know, and we have the humility to be like, oh, a little bit freer this year, a little bit freer this year. Oh, this year feels like I've taken a step backwards. <laughs> okay, little progress, little progress, you know, backwards, little progress, little progress. I hope that's helpful. It is. Thank you very much. I'm going to leave it there for tonight, six o'clock here on the West Coast. Good to see everybody. Thanks for tuning in.
Um, I'll see you in, uh, what is it, March? I'll see you in April, first, first Thursday in April. I hope people are coming to the Refuge Conference. Uh, registration's a little slow. It's in May. I know you feel like you have three months, but register, come hang out with us for the weekend. Um, and then that um, five-day retreat on the East Coast in October, seven-day retreat on the West Coast in Sept September, I think. September, October. And who knows, I'm, I'm still open to doing something. I was looking for a place in the South. Uh, we did North Carolina last year, um, but I, I, I hate to ignore everybody in the South and just do East Coast, West Coast, um, or in the middle of the country. So if you have a place where you want me to come and do a weekend retreat for your Sangha and you feel like there's enough people that would be interested, just reach out to World Services. Let me know, I'm happy to, to come and try to provide a retreat for your community. There's a, a group on here. I see the OKC Refuge Recovery, Oklahoma. We just got back from, uh, you know, they said, hey, come do it. We, we, got, we got people that want to do a retreat. So we just had, I don't know, it was 25, 30 people on, on retreat out in Oklahoma a couple of weeks ago. So uh, retreat is killer. Um, Jennifer, it's not that big of a deal. You can totally do it. And uh, I hope everybody does. May any goodness that comes from our practice be shared outward in all directions with all beings. May we all recover and together may we create a positive change on this planet. Uh, if you'd like to be generous, Refuge Recovery World Services can absolutely use your financial support, make some donations, and thank you in advance for that. So uh, see you next time. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.